Father in heaven, as we come before you, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we get to come before your word. Um, we pray as we talk this morning that you would illumine our hearts, that you would open up our minds, uh, and not just our minds, but our hearts and our lives also. Lord, uh, please pour into us by your spirit so we would understand what the church is, how to live in it, uh, what you call us to do, and how to do it through uh, the strength of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, well, we are still talking about the church and community. We'll be talking about this probably uh, for the remainder of this, not just this year, but this school year. So we'll probably keep talking about this, uh, the church and community until June. Uh, last week we talked about... <coughs> Excuse me. Last week we talked about the church as a family. We talked about how... Um, uh, we are called the household of God, and as the household of God, that had a few implications. One of them was that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, the other is that God is our Father, um, and that there are there are house rules, so to speak, um, and that this family, right, we get into this family by adoption. That God brings us into His family; He adopts us in by grace uh, through faith. And the church as a whole. Um, Remember, we're trying to build the foundation of what the church is and how Scripture talks about the church, how Scripture talks about uh, the Lord's, um, his, his people, and how we are to think of ourselves, right? We're, we're trying to shape how we understand ourselves as a church um, by the Word of God so that we can then start to talk about community and how we have community, what, we, what we're actually doing what it's supposed to look like, and how we get there, right? So we're actually trying to build a foundation before we build the rest of the building. Um, and as we learned with the church as a building, Christ is the cornerstone, which means everything has to be measured by Christ. Um, so the universal church, the broad church, often called the invisible church, is the all the elect of God from all places and all ages. So that's the broad, universal, uh, sometimes Catholic in, our, in the Apostles' Creed, um, or the, the invisible church is the elect of God from all places and all ages. Then the local church is a visible manifestation of that body. It's a visible manifestation of that church, uh, but it's an imperfect one. All right, we talked about how the local church is imperfect because the people in the local church are not yet perfected. They're not yet fully glorified. <clears throat> um, and that the, the local church, the membership of it is not perfect. Right? There are sheep and there are wolves. There's tares among the wheat. That there are weeds. Um, so it means that not everybody who's in the local church is elect. Um, that doesn't mean that they're not in the church in a, in a real sense. They're in the covenant, but that doesn't mean that they're elect and thus saved. So the local church is a visible but imperfect manifestation of that broad, universal, invisible church. So the church as a whole, the church broadly, is the body of Christ. Uh, it is a building that God is building up, a temple uh, for his holy habitation. The church is his bride that he will present to himself on that last day. There'll be a big wedding feast. <coughs> and it's a family. The church is a family. And there's a couple other um, uh, ways that scripture talks about the church. All right. Um, one of them is the church as a, as a kingdom. And there's another where the church is a vine. Um, we'll, we may touch on the vine later, but we want to start talking about the church as a kingdom. Um, I think this is a big one, and so this will probably take at least one lesson to talk about the church as a kingdom. Uh, we may take more than one, maybe two or three. Uh, 
but there's a few ground things, a few foundational pieces we need to, to have first before we talk about the church as a kingdom. Um, because first, when we talk about God and we talk about his rule and his authority and his, and his dominion, uh, he is the creator of all things. Right? God is the creator of the universe. He formed and shaped everything by his word, which means that all the universe belongs to him. Everything is under his rule. Uh, it's in his domain. So he is the ruler of all things. Right? God rules all things. And so in this way, everything is God's kingdom. In this way that, that we just talked about, everything, the whole universe and everything and everybody in it is part of his kingdom. Uh, and kingdoms have different parts that make them up. Right? To have a kingdom, you have to have a king. You have to have uh, citizens of the kingdom. You have to have a land or a place, a realm. Uh, and kingdoms have law. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry, I'm still getting over the cough. They have laws, and they have a constitution. And so this universal kingdom of God, uh, all creation under God's rule, is ruled by God. He's the king of this kingdom. The citizens of this kingdom are everybody, right? Every, all flesh, uh, whether bird or beast or people, they are its citizens. And the land, the, the, the realm of this kingdom is the, the, all the universe, right? Um, and this kingdom has laws, and the, the laws are summarized in the Ten Commandments. And the Constitution is the Noahic Covenant. So this universal kingdom of all creation is governed by uh, the moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments. The Constitution is in the Noahic Covenant. God is the king and the citizens are all flesh. And so the Noahic Covenant forms it in the way that we see in Genesis 9, 8 and 9, where God the king promises, he says he makes a covenant with all flesh. Right? He makes a covenant with Noah and all of Noah's descendants, therefore all people, uh, and all flesh on the earth that he will never again destroy the earth with a flood and that the earth will never cease. While the earth, while the earth continues, day and night, uh, seasons, cold and heat, seed time and harvest, um, these will not end. They will not end while the earth remains. So this is the Noahic Covenant. This is the governing constitution of this broad universal kingdom of God. Uh, but when you start to read scripture, especially the New Testament, um, you start to see the people refer to the kingdom of God in a specific way. Um, John the Baptist came out of the wilderness announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. So the question is, well... If God's rule is universal and he's been ruling since he created it, what does John mean that the kingdom of God is at hand? It means it's near. What does that mean? Um, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is here, right? It's among you. It's already here. Uh, so why would they be talking about it as though it were something at hand or something here when it's always been here? Um, because they're talking about a different kingdom. So they're not specifically talking about the universal rule of God over all creation. They're saying this particular kingdom, the kingdom of God, sometimes called the kingdom of heaven, uh, is at hand. So I'm going to pitch the question to you all. What is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that John the Baptist and Jesus talks about? Any thoughts? Sin. 
Okay? It's, it's an eternal kingdom where God rules apart from sin. Okay. Okay, so it includes his people. But aren't all people his people? Okay, his chosen, his, his elect. Okay. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about a kingdom that is populated, the citizens are the elect, the elect of God, or all of his people. Any other thoughts about what, what is the kingdom of heaven? Kingdom of God. When did it begin? Okay, could have begun a creation with Adam. Let me ask. Well, let me ask it this way: Who's the king of this kingdom? Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the king of this particular kingdom of. Thank you, Steve. That's so sweet. I appreciate that. Jesus is the king of this kingdom of heaven. Um, so this is the kingdom that John the Baptist and Jesus, uh, and that the the New Testament authors are writing about, is a particular kingdom that uh, the king is Jesus. The people are the people of God, the particular chosen people. Um, this kingdom has a land, it has laws, it has a constitution. Uh, what's the constitution of this kingdom? If the universal kingdom is constituted, created by and sustained by, ruled by the Noahic covenant and the moral law, what's the, what's the constitution of this kingdom of heaven that's ruled by Jesus over his particular people? You already said it's a new kingdom. I mean, new. The new covenant, exactly. So this, as we talked about the church, right? The church is, is a people, it's a body, it's a building, it's a bride, it's a family. I mean, now listen to this from First Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then Roman, uh, Revelations 1. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So these verses uh, talk about how God has made us a kingdom. That we are a kingdom of God. A particular one. A, a kingdom that is the citizens of which are his people that he has chosen for himself as First Peter 2 said. Um, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And that this kingdom is ruled by Jesus. That he is the king of this kingdom. And it's constituted by the constitution is the new covenant. Uh, so the land, then, of this kingdom is uh, the new creation. It's the new heavens and the new earth. It's new creation, um, of which has be already begun. And the laws of this kingdom are not less than the moral law, but they're actually more than the moral law. Uh, the law of this new kingdom, governed by the new covenant, are to love God with all of your heart, mind, and life, to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and the Constitution is the new covenant. But isn't Jesus also king over all the peoples and all the nations of the earth? Yes, he is, but it's a different sense. Okay. In what sense is it different? 
Mm -hmm. So that puts it. Yeah, so he, he does rule over all things, but something is different about how he rules his people, his elect, his particular chosen people. So Matthew uh, 28 says, All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Right? All authority. It's not limited. It's all authority. It's been given to Jesus. And then he gives this command to his disciples to go out uh, and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, and we've touched on this briefly already because we've talked about the goal of the church. The goal of the church is Matthew 28, right? To make disciples of all the nations. To baptize and to teach uh, all that Jesus has commanded. That's the, the main mission of the church. And as we talked about already, to make a disciple means to, to mold someone in the image of Jesus. Um, Luke 6 says, Students are not better than their teacher, but when they've been fully taught, they will be like their teacher. So that's the goal of discipleship, is to mold the student in the image of the teacher, which is Jesus. Um, in other words, Jesus... Jesus doesn't just want to rule over all the world. He wants to also rule over people who are followers of him to make them his disciples, to make them to be like him, to rule over a particular people um, for himself. Because even though his, his authority extends over all the kingdoms of the, of the world, only the elect are his people. Only the elect are truly his, his people for his own possession. So 1 Peter 2 again. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Or as uh, the Lord said to Israel, I will be your God and you will be my people, my treasured possession. Or as Haggai, I believe, says, that God is going to, or Hebrews 12, referring to Haggai, says that God is going to shake the world again. And all the treasures of the nations will pour into his, his house, his temple, his kingdom. Right? He's going to plunder the world and he's going to take all the plunder and bring it into his kingdom, his domain, his rule. And this, the plunder is, is you. You are the treasured possession of Jesus. You are the plunder that he has plundered from the world to be in his kingdom. Matthew? Uh, I read a book once, and I was just trying to look it up again, um, that argued that the kingdom was, in this sense, was God acting as king throughout history to essentially to bring everything toward the, you know, his ultimate goal, right? To bring us all into, into relationship with him. Uh, in that sense... Could it be argued that this, the kingdom, is essentially God's redemptive plan in history, uh, both to, to um, bring His elect to God and to uh, reject the reprobate at the same time? Yeah, His redemptive plan is to is all pushing for His kingdom. So when God put Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, He said, "Work the ground, have dominion, and subdue the earth." Those are, those are kingdom languages. Those are kingdom words. That Adam's goal was to take the garden, which was God's kingdom, and extend the borders of it to cover the whole earth. To, to push the borders of Eden around the whole globe to subdue, to conquer, to have dominion over all the earth, to bring it all under subjection to this particular kingdom. God rules over everything. And yet his redemptive plan has always been to have, a, to have all the earth be the new creation. Right, to be the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and when Adam failed, he promised a new seed, uh, or as the Davidic covenant taught us, a new king who will rule uh, forever. 
right? That there will be an eternal kingdom that he is pushing for. So that God has always been pushing here. And when Jesus comes, he inaugurates this kingdom, this kingdom of, of heaven, this kingdom of God that will then push and cover the whole globe right? and bring in, plunder all the nations uh, for his people. He's, pick, he's plundering all his people. Or as Jesus also says, right, he binds up the strong man so he can steal his goods. He goes into Satan's household and binds him up and takes all of Jesus, uh, all of Satan's uh, stuff, which is us. So this kingdom um, is the goal is always everything, new new creation. That when Jesus returns, uh, all uh, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Right? That everyone will be brought into subjection to Him as King in this particular way, whether they want to or not. Um, this, this kingdom will endure forever. So the kingdoms of this world, America, Great Britain, Russia, all these kingdoms, all these nations, they are temporary. Right? America will not be here forever. The, the Roman Empire, and when the scriptures, the New Testament was written, was the, the greatest force in the world. And it didn't last forever. Um, but Christ's kingdom, this, this particular kingdom, this eternal kingdom, will be eternal. It will endure forever. So Hebrews 12 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In other words, all the kingdoms of the earth can be shaken. They can be plundered. They can be destroyed. Um, but God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom, cannot um, and all the other kingdoms will be brought into subjection to Jesus, uh, either willingly through the gospel, either willingly through the work of the church, making disciples, plundering the nations, bringing in people into his kingdom, or unwillingly, on the last day, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to Christ and his authority. Uh, so, let me pitch this question to you guys. Uh, so, can you have Jesus as your savior without having him as your king as well. Why or why not? And what, do I, what do I mean by, by that? Having him as your savior and king. Yeah. 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 In, in other words, if he's just your savior, he doesn't have authority over you. If he's just your savior, then he's he's great. You know, he's wonderful. You can invite Jesus into your heart. Um, you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. But Jesus as king is much bigger than that. Right? It's not that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. Is that you are now in subjection. You are in submission to him as king, which means he has authority uh, over all your life. There is no part of your life that Christ as king does not have authority over. Um, which means you're either in his kingdom or you're not. Either you're brought into his holy nation and you're his treasured possession um, or you're not. And this also means that they're, they're outside of his kingdom there is no salvation. There's no salvation in the world. There's no salvation in the, in the nations or kingdoms of this earth. Um, there's no salvation in any other religion. There's only salvation in the kingdom of God, which means that if you want him as your savior, you also have to submit to him as your king. 
And where do we see most clearly his kingdom on this earth? The church. The church is, is often referred to as, as an embassy of the kingdom of God, uh, which means that the church is sovereign ground. That the church is, is a, uh, a big flag, and it's Jesus' kingdom's flag, uh, and it's this piece of heavenly sovereign territory in this world, uh, which means that this kingdom that Christ has inaugurated is not yet complete. It's not yet fully here. That Christ began it, and it's in the process of bringing in all the elect, of plundering the nations, but it's not yet done. Right? It's not yet full and, and fully consummated. So Hebrews 2 says this, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It's been testified somewhere, What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You've made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, that's Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The passage shows us that we do not yet see everything in subjection to Jesus, but we see him crowned. He has already been crowned with glory and honor, which means his kingdom has already begun. He's already ruling. It's just not yet, he hasn't yet brought everything in subjection to him. A.K.A., there's still rebellious nations. There are still, re there are still rebels that Christ has to defeat. There are still um, some resisting his rule. And this doesn't take away from his authority. And this doesn't take away from his rule. It just means that he still hasn't fully conquered all of those who are in rebellion yet. And he will do this right, in one of two ways. He will either conquer the rebels by converting them with the gospel and bringing them into his kingdom. Or they will bow in subjection to him on the last day. Those are the only two options. Either Christ brings you in through the gospel and conquers you with the gospel. Or he conquers you on the last day. It's far better to be conquered by the gospel uh, than on that last day. And 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So on that last day, the kingdom will be complete. The kingdom will be fully consummated, which means that Jesus will return and rule over all of new creation in glory. All things will be in subjection to him, and we will see it, and death will be conquered. Right? Death is the last enemy. The last great enemy of the Lord will be conquered. Um, it is not yet fully conquered. Right? It's, it has been broken. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, has, its, its back has been broken, and yet it's not yet dead, so to speak. Christ has conquered the grave, and yet we're still looking forward to that day when death will be no more. And that will be on the last day when the kingdom of God will return in full. So let's talk about citizenship. Um, in Ephesians 2, Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So what does it mean to be a citizen of God's kingdom, of Jesus' kingdom? 
What do you think? What does it mean to be a citizen of his kingdom? Okay, you live in the land. Yeah, rights and responsibilities come along with being a citizen. Absolutely. What else? What else does it mean that uh, we are citizens of God's kingdom? Matthew? Mm-hmm. We are under Christ's rule and authority. As well as his protection. Yeah, absolutely. Any other thoughts? I'm not looking for a particular answer, just Yeah, I appreciate everything that, that's been said. And we live in the land. And the land, if it's the new creation, means that we live in new creation, uh, even though we're still on this side of, of Christ's return. But Paul says, You are a new creation in Christ. We have already been made new creations, which means we are already heavenly people. We're heavenly citizens. We haven't yet put on the incorruptible. That still has, we're still awaiting that in the resurrection. But we are now new creations. We are now members of the new covenant, part of the new kingdom, part of Christ's rule, his, his new creational rule. And that's why the church is this, you know, this embassy of the new creation, of the kingdom of God, because we are the new creation. You know, you want to look and see where is the kingdom of God? It's us. It's you and me. This is where you see new creation. Uh, it's, it's in the people of God. And it means also that we're under his rule, which means we are under his authority, uh, which is through the church, right, through his kingdom. And it also means that we're under Christ's protection, right, that Christ has a special regard for his people. He protects his people in a special way. Uh, so what can separate us from the love of Christ? Can swords, famine, war, pestilence, disease, um, attacks by the, de by the devil? Can any of these things conquer us? No, because we're a part of an eternal kingdom that is stronger than the kingdom, kingdoms of this world. So how did you become a citizen of the kingdom of God? Did you, did you all apply? You all wrote, made your papers, right? You filled out Form 23B. We yielded to the drawing of God the Father to Christ. Okay. God drew us in, sure. Okay, we're adopted into God's family. Okay. So how does that apply to citizenship? Okay. By faith, yes. These are all true. Think about it like this. Um, how did you become an American citizen? Everyone except Masha. You're born. You're born. You were born here. Right? You're a natural born citizen. Masha's not. Masha applied and got to be a citizen even though she was born in Ukraine. Um, but if you are born in America, you're an American citizen. Right? You get citizenship. Um, it's actually the same with God's kingdom. So, John 3 says this, Jesus answered him, this is Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, in other words, pause for dramatic effect, you become a citizen of God's kingdom by birth, by new birth. You were born again, which means you were born a natural-born citizen of the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus says, unless you're born again, or born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Um, so in the same way that you were, became an American citizen by being born here, you became a citizen of God's kingdom by being born into it, by being regenerate, by being born again by the power of the Spirit. Uh, that, that means that... If you think about someone who's a natural-born citizen of one country and they get citizenship in another country, what's the hierarchy? What comes first in their loyalties? Their natural-born citizenship, right? Unless they fully reject the old kingdom that they were a part of, there's still that natural, I was born in, in Venezuela, I'm a Venezuelan citizen, just because I'm an American citizen, Venezuela is number one, Right? So when you think about this, we could think of it in terms of, well, we became a kingdom of God, but I'm sort of like, where does America fit in? Where's my American citizenship fit in? It's subordinate because you are a natural born citizen of God's kingdom. That means that's your first loyalty. All of your affections and loyalties go to the kingdom of God first. That, that is your primary loyalty. And this is where your citizenship rests. Philippians 3, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. From, from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in other words, you are a citizen of God's kingdom first, everything else second. Michelle? I, I could be wrong about this, but I thought that America did not recognize dual citizenship and that when you became a citizen, you had to renounce all of your other allegiances. Uh, that might be true, I don't know. It might be, but it's definitely true about being born again into the citizenship of heaven. Mm -hmm. No, that's not necessarily true. I had two children born in Germany. They both got an American birth certificate and a German birth certificate. Weird. And they had to take one. They had to take one. I mean, when they were young, but once they become adults, they had to choose one or the other. Interesting. Okay. Well, however America does it, um, the, the way it works with the kingdom of God is your. <laughs> this is your primary loyalty. This is where your citizenship rests, um, which means that. You are governed by the laws of God's kingdom above all the other laws, right? We are, it, it, that doesn't mean that we, we, that America's laws don't apply to us because I'm a citizen in heaven, so I'm going to jaywalk. Um, that's not what it means, but it does mean that if America makes an, un, a, an unbiblical law, you follow God's law and not America's. Right? That means that if America is saying you need to bow the knee to this big golden statue of of, you know, the, the, our ruler, you say no, because I worship God. He's my, my primary loyalty. I will not bow the knee. So when all of Israel went to Babylon, right, they didn't stop being Israelites. They didn't stop being members of God's kingdom. Even though the kingdom was shattered, they still said, God is my primary loyalty. Uh, Daniel refused to worship an idol. He refused to bow to the laws of Babylon that were, on, that were sinful and wrong because he worshiped God. The same with us. 
Right? We are to worship God. We are to follow His laws above all else. Uh, and the kingdom, this, this constitution, the new covenant, doesn't mean that the laws of the kingdom of God are any less than the, the moral law. So uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith... Excuse me. The Westminster Confession of Faith 19.5 says um, that Christ does not diminish or dissolve uh, this obligation we have to obey God, but rather, through the gospel, he strengthens this obligation. So that's Westminster Confession of Faith 19.5, that the gospel actually strengthens our, our obligations to obey God, to follow him, to submit to his rule. And if you want to know what God's laws are, a good place to go to find out what God, what is required is um, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. My dad is called Matthew 5, kingdom, the, 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 the Sermon of Kingdom Ethics, or something along those lines. That this is how life works, is to work in the kingdom of God. So think about all, all that we've been talking about in Exodus. All the laws that we went through in Exodus. We read the Ten Commandments and we saw, here's all these particular laws that apply the Ten Commandments, but to Israel. Right, and in that particular time and place. What were those laws doing? They were saying, here's how life is going to work in God's kingdom. Right, here's how the Ten Commandments, the moral law, is actually applied and expanded for Israel as God's particular people. And the same thing, I think, is, is happening in the Sermon on the Mount. Is Jesus is applying the Ten Commandments, but actually expanding them, expa expanding them and applying them and saying, this is how life is going to work in my kingdom. Right? You shall love your enemies. If someone takes your cloak, you will give them your shirt. It's not enough to just not commit adultery. But even to think, even to look with an adulterous look is breaking the law, is breaking the commandment. That Christ's rule extends not just to our bodies and our hands, but also to our hearts. Right? That the rule extends not to the outward, but it's the whole person, the whole body, the mind, heart, and life is to be in subjection to God. So, the laws of the kingdom of God are, are not lesser because we got in by grace and we stay in by grace. Are there any questions or, or comments on the kingdom and everything we just talked about? Okay. Um, there's a couple more things that we should talk about because... We've been talking pretty broadly about the kingdom of God, but what about the church? Right? How does the church fit in? So we already said that the church is where the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is made most visible. Uh, and then when Jesus is, is talking to his disciples uh, and to Peter, he says to Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, what are the keys to the kingdom? What is Jesus saying there? He's giving the keys to the kingdom to, to Peter, his rock, upon which he'll build his church. What are the keys to the kingdom? Matthew? The church has the authority to um, govern and discipline the life of the 
Yeah. yeah. Christ is giving authority to the church to govern and discipline the people of God. In other words, to, to rule and to, that Christ rules through his church. In a similar way to how Moses set up judges, he set up rulers over tens and hundreds and thousands um, to help judge the people. Christ does a similar thing where he sets up uh, pastors and elders and deacons, excuse me, to rule over his people. So how do we apply this doctrine of the keys of the kingdom belonging to the church today? How are we applying it to Reformation? Any thoughts, Matthew? The church exercises both puts a fence around the table. It exercises discipline. Um, it the the elders have authority over the body, mm -hmm. spiritual authority over the body. Yeah. Yeah. So there's authority. Um, there's and there's discipline. Um, and but also think about the the image of keys, right? What do keys lock and unlock? Doors. Yeah. So when you have a door going into the kingdom of God, there's keys that lock and unlock it. Who gets to lock and unlock it? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, yes. But also the church. Like the church has keys that literally do things, that can lock and unlock uh, the door. In other words, we apply this by church membership. The church membership is how we're applying the fact that the, God has given the authority to the church to lock and unlock, which means that we could say you're not... You should not come in here. Right? We have looked at your life and heard your, what you profess to believe, and it's not Christianity. Um, we could turn people away from membership in our church. We could also open the door and say, come in, right, when someone becomes a believer. And it also means that we have the authority to say, you need to get out. Right? If there are wolves among the sheep, the shepherds have the authority to kick the wolves out to say, to carry them out and lock the door behind them. To excommunicate, in other words. So church membership and church discipline and church authority, these are ways that we apply the keys of the kingdom because the kingdom of God, right, Christ rules on earth through his church. Um, does that make sense? I think it's even broader than that for Christians. I think we submit to God to word. We study it. We hear his commands, his, his directions, do this, don't do this. You know, it's not a thing of we have to, we're, it's, we're not slaves. But when God has worked in our hearts, we yield to what his word says. So I think it's a little broader than just the church. Okay. So we have to do that outside the church anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we have to submit to God it's on Sunday and Monday and all the days. Uh, yeah, and and. The church is particularly where God's word is preached, right? This is the, if the, the goal of the church is to make disciples, to bring people into God's kingdom, to partner, part of being part of Christ's work and plundering the nations and molding people is through the word and through the sacraments. Um, the word of God is, is our standard that it, as Christians, because we submit to Christ's rule, we come to the Bible and we say, whatever the Bible says, that's, that's what I believe, right? A, a priori, first thing, no matter what, foundational, I believe whatever the Bible says. Which means that when I start to read the Bible, I'm going to find stuff there that I don't like. 
that's going to convict me, that's going to challenge me, that's going to teach me things that I don't want to hear. And I have to come to the Bible and say, no matter what this says, no matter how it hurts my feelings, I have to believe it and accept it. And sometimes, right, that means God convicts us of sin. And sometimes that also means that God convicts us that we need to believe the gospel more. Right? That believing the gospel is, is what brings us into God's kingdom. Right? It's through the gospel, it's through faith. And so that's how we, that's, that's the structure of the kingdom as well. Christ is the cornerstone. He's, he's the foundation by which everything else is measured, including ourselves. He is, he is the king. He's the one that we submit to as a people. Which means whatever the Bible says about the church, that's what the church is. Whatever the Bible says about what we should do as a church, that's what we do. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who rule over you. Yeah, obey your leaders and submit to them. Okay, are there any, there's probably some more things that we'll talk about. So I think we'll do one more session on, on the church as a kingdom. Because we need to talk about what, what does it mean that we are a kingdom of priests. Um, but unless there's any questions or comments, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up today. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come before you, we thank you that you have, uh, you have given us the citizenship in your kingdom, that you have brought us in, regenerated us. Father, thank you that we get to live uh, under your rule. Lord, uh, thank you for your church. Thank you that we get to come together as one people, as one body, one nation, uh, and worship you and hear your word and rejoice together. Father, I pray that you would bless our time as we worship, you bless, uh, that you would mold us through the preaching of the word, um, that we would come to your word to submit to it, to submit to you as our king and our savior. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. I pray this all in your name. Amen.